0: last week, and <clears throat> First John five twenty in the message says this, and we know that the Son of God came so we could recognize and understand the truth of God. What a gift. We, and we are living in the truth itself in God's Son, Jesus Christ. The G, this Jesus is both true God and real life. Dear children, be on guard against all clever facsimiles. We live in a day and an age where there are many, many, many facsimiles, kind of fakes, close approximations but not the truth. And John, even back then, 2000 years ago, some probably 60 years after Christ had originally come and had his ministry and died and been resurrected and ascended into heaven, John is writing to those who are now believers within 50 to 60 years after Jesus was there, already on the scene. We're bringing up things that look like the truth but were not the truth. So John is praying that they would know real life, real love. How much more do we need it in this age? Where the fake, the close to truth but not truth, is all around us. In the first verses of John, really what's considered the prologue of 1 John we saw that John says the greatest thing in a believer's life is having fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. That really, Jesus came to restore our fellowship with God because we, it was broken, and that we would in turn walk in fellowship with one another and that our joy as a result would be made complete. Throughout this book, this is a book of encouragement. He's going to encourage those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Here are the things that will show you that you're a true follower. What you believe, how you relate to one another, how you act in life. All of these things, by the grace of God, will reveal to you whether you're a true follower of Jesus Christ or you're just walking after some facsimile, so to speak. The question I think that immediately arises is this. If we're, if we're supposed to be walking in complete fellowship with God and fellowship with one another and in complete joy, why is there so little of it in the church? I'm not talking about, you know, out there. As a matter of fact, out there seems to be having more fun than in here most of the time. We seem, at times, to be depressed. What is it that gets in our way? What are the obstacles that prevent us from achieving the goal of walking in complete joy? And in in a nutshell, here's John's first obstacle. It is sin. Now, here's my problem. As soon as I start using the word sin... Many of you have already started tuning me out for any number of reasons. One uh, is because you hear about it so often in the church, and we're like, oh, here he goes again. We're going to talk, start talking about what a miserable wretch I am. Okay, yes, I am going to talk about that, but, but not in that perspective. I, I want us to understand, and John wants us to understand, people, we got a sin problem we got a sin issue that has to be dealt with. So instead of using the word sin, and I I am going to come back to it in a minute, but instead of really focusing on that word, I want to use the terms that John uses, which is darkness and light. Darkness and light, and maybe we can get over the whole uh, I issue in the middle of sin and, and just move forward a little bit. But John uses the term Light and darkness. God is completely light, and we're walking in the darkness apart from God. Now, here's the second problem I have in communicating this message. We are so used to the darkness that we can't relate to anything else. It's all we know is darkness, and it's become such a part of us that even when I talk about darkness, it's like, well, I don't really know which part of this is darkness and which part is light because... We're so used to the darkness. I just finished a series of books uh, called the Silo series. They're kind of, don't judge me, but they're kind of uh, science fiction adventure kind of stuff. You know, I read serious books. I read fiction books. I just like to read. And there's this new series of books, and they were free on Amazon, so I bought it. I didn't buy them. I just got them. The, the Silo series of books. And the whole thing takes place after, of course, the earth is ended. That seems to be a popular theme these days, that everybody, something horrible has gone wrong on the earth. And the premise is that these people live in a silo that is buried beneath the earth, hundreds of floors. And it's, a, it's more like a city underground, but they call them a silo. And they've, they've lived there for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, they can grow their own food. They, everything was set up so when the end of the world happened, they have grow lights and water and just, they're sustainable. Here's my point. These people have lived in the silo for so long, they have no concept of what's outside. They don't know grass is green. They don't know skies are blue. They don't know stars. They don't know the sun. They don't know mountains. They don't know rivers. They, all they know is the silo that they live in. And anytime anyone talks about, you think there's more than just this silo? They're actually punished because they don't want to upset the delicate balance that everybody has in their job of living in the silo. We're like that. It's like asking a fish, what is water? And the fish says, what What water? I mean, that's all they know is water, so they don't know that there's anything. We are so a people of darkness that even to use the term, we we can't really relate to it because we've grown so accustomed to the darkness. Let me give you some examples in the form of questions that I wrote down. Why do we constantly live in pain at seeing our dreams unfulfilled and many times at the hands of other people. Why do we do things that harm us and hurt others? Why do we do things we know are wrong? Why is there death and why am I so afraid of it? Why is everything always breaking down? Why are we losing stuff all the time? Why do I live in a constant state of frustration? And the biggest question I really have is, about all of this is why do I so seldom ask myself these questions? Many of us are like that. We're just so used to living like this that we don't even take time to step back and ask ourselves the question, What? why? John is writing to tell us that the problem is we're walking in darkness. But, but the good news is this. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to live in darkness. That there is an option that will move us from darkness to light. I believe hidden in these passages are really the truth about the abundant Christian life. What does it mean to live the normal Christian life versus this abnormal, less than Christian life that many of us experience? So let's look at 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, excuse me, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. How do we get out of the darkness? How do we walk in the light? Let me give you some steps, I believe, on getting us out of darkness. Number one is this, we have to begin with the truth that God is light. We have to begin with the truth that God is light. Now, some of you may have said, well, I have to begin with the truth that I'm in the darkness. Let me just say this. If you begin with the truth that you're in darkness rather than God is light, you're going to be forever frustrated. Because all truth emanates from God, not you. Listen to me again. I'm not sure. This is really important from a biblical standpoint. Genesis 1-1 says what? In the beginning, God. God, everything begins and ends with God. The rest of the entire Bible is really a revelation about this God that's in the beginning. To me, the the danger of philosophy as a study is this. I believe all philosophy starts with the truth, me. We have to start, it's a man-centered study of truth. It starts with us. And because we all live in darkness, it's like the blind leading the blind. Although somebody may see a little fuzzier than I see. But the truth is this we have to begin with the truth that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. You need this perspective because. Again, we don't really understand what the darkness looks like, but we need to understand that God understands the darkness because he's purity, he's holiness, and he's light. You're a part of the American culture. You don't even know what that is. I mean, really, the only way you can understand the American culture is to go to another country. And then you'll come back and you'll say, oh, I see what it means to be American. You know, the, real, the only way to understand what Birmingham is like is to leave Birmingham. As many of you are transplants here to Birmingham. I mean, a large part of our church was not born and raised here. But over time, it starts to become comfortable and, it, you know, it just kinda, you just kind of flow in it. The only way to know what it's like is to leave the South. Go to Miami. Go to Miami, Florida for a little while and then come back to Birmingham. You'll understand what it means to be a part of a Southern culture. Same thing with fullness. Many of you were born and raised in this church. You don't really know what other churches really even look like. You're just a part of a fullness culture, which over time, if we're not careful, just becomes old hat to to us. The only way you can really know yourself is to get outside of yourself. And because that's impossible, the truth is this. We have to begin with the perspective that God is like. We have to begin with him in order to even understand who we are. What does it mean that God is light? And there are a lot of references in the Bible to light. Uh, That God's word is light, a light for our path, he lights the darkness. But I believe in this passage, specifically, John is referring to the holiness and purity of God. God is a holy God. He is pure light, and we're not. We are darkness. We need God's light to shine in the dark recesses of our heart and our life, even show us what's going on there. You know, I, we've used running analogies, sorry, uh, in the past, but um, I, I run uh, usually about 5.30 on, in the morning. Now, during the summer, 5.30 is it's light. It's fine, but in case you didn't know, some of you haven't seen 5.30 in the morning in a long time, and uh, 5.30 right now, it's dark. So I usually wear a headlamp to light the path, to show us where we're going, because I have a propensity to run with people who fall, and so... and, and so uh, we try to light the path to see where we're going. So like yesterday morning, we started off running early, and I'm running, and you know, then it gets light. And then there are other runners on the road who feel the necessity to tell me that my light is still on. <laughs> Which uh, you normally would make me turn it off, but you know, I'm just hard-headed, so I'm like, I don't care. Just, I'm going to run with it on anyway. We need the light of God's Word to shine on the path so that we'll know where we're going. And the light of God really has to do with his holiness and his purity. God is light, and the only way to get out of the darkness is to start with the truth that God is light. Are you with me? Really, if you don't get this first point, you are, you're sunk. If you keep trying to start with yourself and say, I'm in the darkness, I'm in the darkness, I'm going to try and get out of the darkness. I'm going to trial and error my way out of darkness. You're not going to make it. You have to start with the truth that God is light. Then you get to move to you. And that is this. Recognize that you got a problem. You have a sin problem. I know there's that word again, sin. But John, three times in this passage, is going to refer to our sin problem. The first is in verse 1. Uh, excuse me, verse 6, where he says this, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. This is the idea that sin doesn't matter. You know, I can go on sinning and it doesn't affect my relationship with God. Sin doesn't really matter. Second time he says it in verse uh, 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Really what he's saying here is, oh, you know what? My sin problem is not really my fault. It's not it's not really my fault. John says it is your fault, and if you don't own up to it, then the truth isn't in you. Then the third time he says in verse ten, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. If we say that sin doesn't exist in me, okay, other people have a sin problem, but not me. What do we do? We make God out to be a liar. Now, well, let me just say, without going on and on again, that's not really a good place to be, calling God a liar, but that because this is the truth that God tells us. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We, each and every one of us, apart from God, have a sin problem. If we want to get out of the darkness, then one of the first things we have to do is recognize that God is light, and then recognize that we're in darkness. In other words, we have a sin problem. Today's culture, by the way, I believe, has taken the bottle of sin and renamed the label, hoping that the contents of what's in the bottle have changed. And it's not true. Just because the label on the outside of the poison has changed doesn't mean it's not poison. Sin is sin. Dirt is dirt. Poison is poison. God is—it It is what God says it is. I don't get to define it. If God is light and God is truth, God is the one who gets to define it. We try and redefine things about... I was reading about this wife the, the other day in an article, and uh, she basically said this. Um, I don't nag. I'm a motivational speaker. I like that. We have a lot of motivational speakers around here. And then um, a little boy who was praying and he said, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. That's many of us. We either try and redefine by saying, you know, what I'm doing is not sin. Or we just say, you know what, I really like my sin. I like what I'm doing. I don't really want to change. Remember, the starting point is God and not us. Therefore, sin is what he calls sin. The biblical doctrine of sin, without really going deep into it, is that we are wretched sinners. And I use that term wretched because that's really kind of the picture. We are so steeped in sin. Now, you are so steeped in sin that you were born into it. It is your very nature. You were born with a sin nature. He, here's, here's how the gospel has been construed sometimes. Um, I am, many people will think like this. I am a sinner because I sinned. I'm a sinner because I sinned. And we present the gospel. Listen, you've missed God's mark, and therefore you're a sinner, and we've all sinned, fallen short of God's glory. Therefore we need God's grace. Listen, you're not a sinner because you sinned. You sin because you're a sinner. Um, Let me say that again. You sin because you're a sinner. You're born into the darkness. You live in the darkness. You do the things you do because it's a part of your very nature. So whenever anybody says, I do this because I was born like this, we're all born like this. It It just may be different, born into things, but we're all born into sin. We sin because we're sinners. And we can't change our very nature, but God can. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to get born out of this sin nature and born into an eternal nature. And if you don't, then you'll forever be locked in this dark pattern of living. When you're deciding to go God's way or your way, You're going to decide on your way every time. If it happens that it matches up with God's way, well, that's great. But you're choosing your own way because that's part of your nature. How many of you ever had to teach your children to be self-centered? I mean, really. Oh, go ahead. Be selfish. Take it for yourself. Don't share with your brother or your sister. Don't do that. No. I mean, they just did that. Why? Because... As Jonathan Edwards saying, they're all little vipers. <laughs> they're all little snakes. He, Jonathan Edwards was so convinced of the sin nature of children, he said, quit telling me your, ain't, your, your children are little angels. They're all little vipers. It's a whole different view of child rearing, isn't it? What he's trying to say is we're born into this nature of sin. Let me just go ahead and go one step further and say this. If you try to protect your children from sin by isolating them from the world, good luck. Have we not seen that played out over the last couple of weeks? Have we not seen families that so isolated their children saying, we want to protect them for the world because we don't want the world to get in them? The problem is the world is already in them because their sin nature, they were born into it. You cannot isolate your children or anyone else from the sin out there because there's so much sin in here. We walk in darkness. I'm not listen, I'm not in any way saying don't homeschool your kids. Please do not hear me say that. I'm just saying it if you're doing it for the goal that you're isolating your children from sin, you're not going to do it. As a matter of fact, I think you're going to be self defeating. You need to help them recognize they have a sin problem by beginning with the truth that God is light. God is light, and we walk in the darkness. We have a problem. we got to admit we got the problem. How many people go to the doctor, doctor gives them some sort of diagnosis, and then they deny they ever have that illness? I'm not sick. <laughs> you know, they go around acting like they're not sick. They just refuse to receive. God has already diagnosed us. He said... We are darkness. We have a sin issue. The starting point of getting out of the darkness is this. God is light. I'm going to keep repeating that over and over again. God is light. God is light. God is light. We, in turn, walk in darkness. Now, if I just stopped here, (laughs) we would go home hopeless. God is light. I'm in the darkness. But here's the good news. Kind of going back to point one, but I just need to agree with God about who I am. I need to confess and receive that Jesus' sacrifice cleanses me from all my sin. It says in verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much sin? All sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from, say it again? All unrighteousness. He he cleanses you from all sin. He forgives. He, here's the picture. He forgives all your sin, and then he removes the stain of sin, the unrighteousness of your heart, all of it. He cleanses you, makes you pure, makes you holy. Now, I know the problem here. Immediately when I say you're forgiven of all sin, and you're totally pure, and you're totally holy, You start thinking about yourself. No, I still got a sin problem. Let me see if I can rephrase this a little bit. The gospel is this. You are utterly wicked and lost. But you can be completely saved and accepted and loved through Jesus Christ. Now, there is no middle ground, there's no third option. You are either utterly lost or completely accepted. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. So when I am utterly lost from a biblical standpoint, that means I can only only act according to my nature. I act according to the sin nature. And we may say, you know what, the thing is, I know some people who are lost, but they do good things. Do you know, I, I would contend, and this is my negative view of humanity, I would say they're still acting according to their own values or their own needs. It's still a self-centered perspective in a way of living. But, so they, people sin because they're sinners by nature. When I'm completely loved, completely accepted by God, he transfers me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, according to the Bible, I have the Holy Spirit within me. I, his presence indwells me, and when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And do you know that by, that verse specifically means there is freedom now not to sin? Before, I didn't have freedom not to sin. Now, I have freedom not to sin. In other words, now I'm no longer a sinner who just acts according to his nature and sins. Now I'm a saint according to what the Bible says. And that when I do sin, I stumble and fall, but God's, I'm still just as accepted, just as is loved, just as received by him, just as saved. That's the grace message. That is the message of grace that what do, I do? how do I get from utter lostness to complete light? Well, according to John, I confess, which means I agree with God that that's who God says I am. I'm a sinner. I can't act anything but according to my nature. I confess, and I receive what the blood of Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And when I do, God moves me from darkness to light. This is the gospel. This is the message of grace. God made me makes me alive. I was, the pictures are like dead and alive, darkness, light, lost, saved. Whatever picture really turns it for you, the truth is this. The gospel is Jesus' sacrifice cleanses us from all sin. Here's the truth. Many of us only think we're partially bad as sinners. Most of us only think we're kind of, I'm 95% good. There's only like 5% of me that's bad. From God's standpoint, no, you're to utter, I, I, this is bad news, I know. You are completely lost. Your very nature, all of our natures, apart from Christ, is we're,
1: we're, we're lost.
0: Uh, not long ago, I read about a, a, an interview that was with politicians, and it was like this. Tell us something you've done wrong in your life. Oh, well, that's going to get you far, isn't it? That kind of question. Tell, me, tell us something you did wrong. The answers were funny to me because it was like, well, I once went like five miles over the speed limit and got a speeding ticket. In other words, they want to say there's something I did wrong because they don't want to kind of give this like I'm perfect kind of attitude. But they don't really tell you anything of any significance that they did wrong. Why? It's just our nature. We don't, I, don't want to say, I do not want to confess I do not want to agree that I am wretched to the core. Because many of us, we don't even see ourselves like that. God is light, we're in darkness, and we have to agree with him. Now, this doesn't mean you have to confess every single sin you've ever done or you're not going to be forgiven. That's not the picture here. He's he's basically talking about a position of confession, agreement with God. That's all confession means. Confession is not a negative term. Confession, I can confess that my, I can agree with you that my wife is beautiful. I mean, we're just agreeing together. We're confessing. It's a positive, right? Well, this confession, it's just agreement with God that he we, he's light and we're darkness. And that Jesus' blood can cleanse us from all of our sins. He paid the price that we could not pay. One of the things I know from having counseled all these many years is that most people only confess to the level of their caughtness. I mean, really. When, when A lot of times when I have someone come into my office, particularly who's been involved in some sort of sexual sin, they only confess to the level of their caughtness. It's gotten to the point where one of my first lines, when someone comes in and they say, I, I have a sexual sin, I, I usually say to them, look, I know that at least three, four times in the next half hour, you're going to lie to me. Yeah. You just can't help it. And I, I want you to know I don't condemn you. I'm not going to beat you up about it. I, just, I, I want us both to understand that I know and you know you're not going to tell me the truth. Because you're only going to confess to the level. It's so hard to get out of darkness. But God gives us his grace. God gives us his might. God gives us his power to do this. Fourth point. Final point is this. We need to walk in the light. God moves us from darkness to light. Now we need to walk in the light. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. Now, look up here for just a second. Here's the big, big theological debate about these five verses, six verses. Are these six verses for believers or unbelievers? This is like half the commentaries argue over this point. Are these six verses about lost people or saved people or both? In other words, a lot of people will say, look, these six verses only apply to the lost. Paul is using we, he says we a lot in this. He's using what's called a pastoral we. I don't know if that makes any sense. But there are times when I say we when I actually mean you. You may not know that, but it sounds better if I say we, because I put myself in your camp, right? So, from a pastoral standpoint in preaching, many times we use the term "we" to kind of identify that we are all in on this ship together. And Paul, uh, excuse me, John may be using that term here, where he's saying "we." Other people argue, no, this whole letter is to believers from beginning to end. He's talking to believers, and he does talk about those who are lost, but he's also talking about us. Listen, I I don't want to get caught up in some legalistic debate. Here's where I think we as believers, and I mean we as believers, are to be, and it's this. We're to continue to walk in the light. God has moved us from darkness to light. Now, don't love the deeds of darkness. Love the things of the light. Walk in the light. This week, you've probably seen the article about this website called Ashley Madison. Now, you probably, many of you probably didn't even know this website even existed, and God bless you, I'm glad you didn't. It is a website designed for people who are married to kind of meet other people who are married in order to have affairs. Their tagline, their slogan has been this, Life is short have an affair. Life is short, have an affair. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how mad I am about this whole thing. And, and here's, here's one of the things that shows how utterly deceived we are. 37 million names were released this week by hackers who got out and released 37 million names of people who thought I could secretly have an affair Sign up for this website. Of the 37 million names released on this website, 31 million of them were men. Now, you do the math. Of the 7 million, it's estimated that 90 to 95% were made up by the Ashley Madison people themselves. They're fictitious women. Some estimates are that of 37 million names that were released, only 12,000 of them are actually legitimate, alive, breathing, but messed up women somewhere. Now, to me, this shows. I'm not trying to beat up all men everywhere, just generically. I'm, I'm just trying to say, we got us a problem, people. We got us a problem in that we are walking in darkness. And We're so stupid that we don't even know. What what does this mean? It means that Ashley Madison is making millions of dollars off this fantasy that is never even going to happen because there's not enough. The numbers don't match. Here's the sad part to me. Ed Stetzer in a Christianity Today article on Friday estimated that today, 400 pastors, elders, deacons, staff leaders will be resigning because their names are on that list. 400 across our country. We've seen the devastating effects. Here's here's what I think our tagline should be not life is short, have an affair. It should be this eternity is long, walk in the light. Walk in the light. God's transferred us from darkness to light. Let's not go back. How do we do that? Well, we just continue to walk in the light. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Keep God at the center of our very perspectives and the very, our very beings. Here, here's my challenge. This is... The thing that keeps, one of the things that keeps me up at night as a pastor, honestly, is that I, I, I'm afraid that many people within the church, even within fullness, especially our youth and our children, this is really the horror of my life, and even in my family, I want to make sure this hasn't happened, is that I've, I, I want to make sure that I haven't raised, either from a pastoral standpoint or from a family standpoint, Pharisees. In other words, people come to church all the time. They hear these lines. Hey, um, pray, read your Bible, go to church, give money, be faithful to your wife or husband, live a good moral life, and you'll be okay. And this is a moralist standpoint. The problem with living a moralist kind of standpoint is that is that it's impossible. It's impossible to live this kind of life that says, I want to live a good life. The, the problems are numerous here, and I, I'm not going to stay here long, but hopefully you'll get the point. It is hard, it is hard from an external standpoint to tell the difference between someone who is a moralist and someone who is a true Christian. They both pray, they both go to church, they both are faithful to their wives, they're both. But one of them is walking in light, and one of them is walking, I I would say, even in the darkness still, by their own strength, their own might. How can you tell the difference? Well, the moralist, when he messes up, which he will, because and we all do, even as Christians, the true Christian, when he messes up, what is his response? Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me, help me, I thank you for loving me, thank you for, thank you for keeping me safe, thank you for your life that's within me. The moralist will be completely devastated. They'll be like, I can't do this, I'm going to abandon church, this all doesn't work, nothing is right, nothing is... Why are so many kids abandoning the church when they get out of high school and go to college? Because I'm afraid we're raising moralists, not children who have been truly transferred from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. How do we do that? Well, first of all, again, teach your children. It starts with God. He is light. At some point, you're going to have to help them confront their sin nature. And if all you've ever done is give them a trophy for participating in an athletic event, whether they suck at it or not, you may in fact be Saying, hey, you're a perfect whatever you are. Rather than saying, look, here's the truth of what God's word says for you. And then when they do come to that realization, help them understand, if you confess, agree with God, and receive the healing that comes from Jesus Christ, you can be transferred from darkness to light. Now walk in the light. And when they mess up, help them to understand like when you mess up. God forgives. God's grace has not lessened. You're still completely loved. You're completely accepted. You're totally redeemed. You may be here today, and you may be saying, wait wait, wait a minute, Pastor. I, I'm not really sure if I've really moved from darkness to light. I want to tell you today can be that day. That day when you receive the truth that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins, he died for your sins, and he removed the stain of sin from your life. Receive him. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you would say, you know what? I think I'm actually, I I need a reorientation of my life to walk in the light. Praise God. Walk in the light. Follow, follow him. Listen to the old words of that hymn from a hundred years ago. What can wash away my sins? What? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? What can move me from darkness to light? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
1: Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other fountain, I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen to the last verse, sing it with me. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fountain know Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that we would understand
0: that there is nothing that can transfer us from darkness to light except your blood, your power, your might. Lord, may we begin the truth that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all. And yet in us there is no light, we are completely dark. And Lord, may we agree with you about who you are and who we are. And as a result, by the blood of Jesus, be transferred from darkness to light. Oh, God, move in our lives today. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins, that God, you would move among them and on them today. Lord, I pray for those of us who do know Jesus, that we would continually walk in the light. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. You are our lighthouse. You are everything to us.
1: In Jesus' name, amen.